You talking to me? Well, yes, you and everyone else that's listening, Robert. Do you have any idea how fucking busy I am? No, but do you know how busy we are producing six high-quality podcasts? I got a boner. Uh, okay. All Things Film, six of the best high-quality free podcasts on the internet. No, they are, really. Film Freaks, daily grindhouse podcast. It was only a pound. Mass Movie Side UK, the podcast on fire network, and of course, Film Exploitation, the All Things Film podcast. All available to download free from allthingsfilm.co.uk and from iTunes. Really, you should get that cough scene to it. It could be something serious. We're tonight's entertainment. No joker, we're tonight's entertainment. And every night on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, and available from www.allthingsfilm.co.uk. What's the website address again, Chewbacca? <laughs> so sit back, subscribe, and enjoy. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Welcome to Taiwan R14 on Challenge of the Lady Ninja and a Life of Ninja. And uh, there's no intro. I'm just going to be really short about it. Ninja Double Bill, Elsa Jung, Chen Kwan Tai, Taiwan Reefer Madness. No intro. I'm Kennedy. With me, Todd Statman. And to make it really clear what movies we are covering, in your own words, what are they, my friend? Uh, well, we're, like you said, we're doing a Ninja Double Bill. We're going to watch two, I mean, we're going to talk about two Ninja films, both from 1983, both directed by Lee Cho Nam, both starring the lovely Elsa Jung, and a lot of other people. There's a lot of shared, a lot of shared personnel in both these films. They are a Challenge of the Lady Ninja, and A Life of Ninja, or at least we're calling it A Life of Ninja. I understand it goes by about a million different names. Oh, but yeah, oh, yeah. For our purposes, it's A Life of Ninja. Okay, let's uh, not be around the bush and be all boring and talking ninjutsu history and what have you. Let's uh, run through <laughs> the contact information and get into this, because I'm, I'm psyched. I find these movies uh, to be uh, movies uh, that are, um, I show people. If I had friends that I could show these movies to, these movies would be the great picks, but uh, as it stands now, I don't have many friends and no friends that I can show these movies to because uh, it will be, what is this? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Subtitles, dubbing. Uh -huh. If I was there, I would watch them with you, Ken. Ah, excellent. You're good. You're good. Yeah. You're a good man and a good friend. Uh, but okay, podcastonfire.com is where you'll find Taiwan Noir uh, and uh, along with other shows and bonus episodes. Uh, email us for feedback uh, or rather to send feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com and we'll give you feedback on your feedback and there will, it'll be a great relationship uh, that way. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash POF network is the page that you can like and support us that way, but you can also join the discussion going on in our discussion group. We have a link on that page and you can just type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar and that will get you a group. 
tweet us and follow our Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. My site for a good amount of Taiwanese movies, including these ones, and uh, Godfrey Ho Ninja Exploitation and Category 3 Exploitation, Erotica from Hong Kong, Horror from Hong Kong. You can find that SoGoodReviews.com, and I do little video reviews, little spoken uh, mini-commentaries on movies that I review at SleazyKVideo.com, and I tweet at Twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. Taiwan War is on iTunes, rate and subscribe, and if you have the time, please leave a little written comment about what you thought of the show, good or bad, but be constructive and not a dickhead about it, please. No one has so far, or iTunes have uh, neg- um, denied those reviews uh, on uh, on their site. So, so uh, Apple will detect your abuse. So don't don't do it, kids. Apple Apple has a dickhead detecting bot. Is that what you're saying? I, it's exact. It's exactly what I'm saying. In uh, in uh, but but you refined it uh, much better than I could uh, ever <laughs> ever express it. That's so. my job. Beware the the Apple dick bot. Beware the Apple dick, Apple dick bot, <laughs> dickhead bot. Okay, it's almost this week in Sleaze territory, it is, so let's not uh, get too uh, stuck in that. Uh, you can also stream us on Stitcher, and uh, because if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device, you can stream via the application Stitcher. You can do that online, but also uh, for your Apple, iPad, Android, or uh, iPhone, of course. And uh, once you're in Stitcher, type in Taiwan War to find the latest uh, podcasts. Uh, but you can also add us to your favorites that way. And finally, from my side, Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles is uh, Jesus Molina's blog. He highlights country uh, home movies and film movies, but specifically we've linked to the blog posts he's done on the cut-and-paste movies by Godfrey Ho that uses Taiwanese movies as the B-plot or the source movie from Taiwan to kind of uh, give them a name and a shout-out. And that's good work and good research and very valuable research. Uh, Todd, 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 my friend, you have endeavors. Pick and choose what endeavors to plug, but uh, regardless, the floor is yours. What do you want to plug? Okay. <gasps> you can catch up with me on my blog, Die Danger, Die Die Kill at blogspot.com and also on uh, Teleport City, teleport-city.com. Uh, I also do the uh, Infernal Brains podcast. There will be another one, I promise. It's just uh, Tars Tarkas is one of the busiest people in the world, and I'm, I'm fairly busy too. Uh, so, and... Two other things that I'm going to announce. Two new Five, things. Five, four, three, Five, two, two, one. <laughs> it's like, you need some uh, some of that music like they have at the Academy Awards. <laughs> do, 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 do. Thank you, Todd. Um, okay, really quick. I'm do, I'm also doing an internet radio show now. It's a monthly thing. It's called Pop Offensive. Me and my friend Jeff Heyman uh, play all kinds of pop and Vintage pop and dance music from around the world. We play a lot of French Yeah Yeah Girl music. Uh, we play Bollywood music. We play J-pop. Uh, we play electro-pop from all over the place. Some punk, some glam. It's a really fun show, really good mix of music. And every ec- episode is archived, so you can stream it from the you know this site whenever you want. And that's at 9th. Floor Radio, numeral 9-T-H-F-L-O-O-R-R-A-D-I-O.com, and you go to the right sidebar and go to the Pop Offensive page, and you'll see our, the two episodes we've had so far. You can stream those. Lastly, but not leastly, I'm finally this week coming out of the closet 
uh, as, as having written a book, and that is... Oh my god, that's too offensive for this show. Be creative! How dare I, you be creative? Uh, and in print, no less. I mean, it's. I think it's really funny that all of us bloggers, uh, despite the much wider audience we can find on the internet, we still feel like we have to be in print to have total legitimacy. So I've written a book about 1970s Bollywood action cinema. It's called Funky Bollywood, The Wild World of 1970s Indian Action Cinema. Why 1970s? It's got the golden decade of all, all things Bollywood. Uh, well, for, for action movies in particular. And I think I wanted to approach Bollywood movies from a cult film perspective. So I think for cult film fans, that's a good entryway into Bollywood because they, those films incorporate, you know, there was so much action cinema throughout the world in the 70s and all of that sort of went into the melting pot of influences that the Bollywood uh, filmmakers were working off of. So they were working off, they were inspired by the new Hollywood crime films. You know, you see a lot of reworkings of plot elements from The Godfather. Mm -hmm. There's even a Bollywood version of Dirty Harry. Um, and then a lot of, uh, a lot of influence of uh, Kung Fu films from Hong Kong. Uh, and even like black exploitation influences, Euro spy, a lot of spaghetti western influences. There was a whole uh, a whole strain of uh, Indian westerns that were heavily influenced by uh, the spaghetti westerns. They call them curry westerns uh, now. And this all happened in the 60s. So you get these very gritty elements from world action cinema being filtered through the very fanciful, fanciful and hyperbolic lens of Bollywood. And it makes for a very, very cool combination. I think there are a lot of people who, who, who would say who are big cult film fans and are fans of cinema from all over the world. But Bollywood say, oh, I don't like I can't watch those, the singing and all that stuff. You yeah, know? yeah, it's always that preconceived notion that um that uh, I mean, uh, it's not uh, when you say it like that. I don't think anyone is very harsh about it. They're just like, "Oh, it's not for me." Rather than "Fuck that, that's not for me." I like men movies. You know, it's never right. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, it's generally. I think people just shy away from them, and there, I understand that. But I feel like these films are are a good entryway, and I think it, some of these films would really appeal to. You know, fans of this of this podcast, fans of Die Danger, Die Die Kill. Um, so that's what I was going for. You know, so it's sort of not maybe a little bit of an outsider's view of Bollywood, but you know, a, a cult perspective and just kind of minding the cult appeal. Maybe an outside view, but it's an insight nonetheless. See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so because I, I don't think this is the. Uh, millionth book on the same subject, you know. So uh, no. you know, you're doing a very, you're doing a great thing already conceptually, but um, uh, I'm sure it's a cool read. I'll tell you, I'm a horrible reader. I I, I can't read fiction. I kind of get uh, my lack of uh, my lack of patience kind of hinders me. Uh, but uh, but uh, film history, you know, I I can absorb easily. I mean, uh, for Christmas, like two Christmases ago, all I wanted was the because I don't really care about Christmas as such. But but for once, I had like a request. So my mother bought me the uh, uh, Ruggiero Diodato book on uh, the Italian director Ruggiero Diodato, and yeah. I love that stuff. So I, that, that's uh, literature I can uh, sink uh, my teeth into. So. 
I love that we've gotten to the point in film uh, literature where there's actually a book about Diodato. That's pretty cool. It was actually uh, updated two Christmases ago. Uh, when I'm, I'm sorry for the tangent listeners but regardless Cannibal Holocaust was released almost uncut in the UK in kind of a sensational decision and the book was uh, updated with uh, a fairly lengthy section about uh, the censorship process um, for Cannibal Holocaust uh, as of uh, the year before the year that book was uh, reprinted uh, but, uh, but, but again the name of your book and can they find it or in, uh, at the usual places or in your basement? Well, not, it's not, it's in the process of being uh, readied for publication. It's, it's all written and everything. We're just laying it out and getting and putting in the illustrations. Uh, I'm, right now I'm thinking September is when it's going to be available, but I just kind of want to start putting out the word and letting people know it's coming. Very cool, and I admire that. I like that angle. I'd pick that up even because I just like uh, subjects like that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, even if it doesn't result in uh, collecting movies or watching uh, an extensive amount of them, but I just like that. Um, I, I like that kind of movie history more because I am a cult movie fan and a horror fan and a B movie fan. I'm not really a highfalutin kind of movie historian as such. I'm not saying that's bad, but I, I go for the more um, for the more cult, if you will, if you want to simplify it. Well, I honestly tried to write it in a way uh, in which it would be entertaining, uh, even for people who weren't fans of the film, or even for people who uh, have no intention of watching the films. I mean, I don't really have any illusions about this. I know that the films I write about on 40K, a lot of the people who read the reviews have no intention of watching those movies. They just like reading about weird movies. You know, so, you know, I often get comments about thanks for watching this so I don't have to. <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I, I tried to make it an entertaining read, whether or not you know about these movies or not. I think it'll be a fun read. All you need is an interest in, in uh, offbeat cinema. And who's not interested in that? I mean, you know, I think, I think a it's lot a lot pre- I think a lot yeah. I am one. Man. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. Yeah. Excellent. Good work, my friend. Uh, that's uh, you're better than all you. You're better than all of us. Thirty four. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Exactly. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm thinking this book is my my avenue to you know finally getting the rich rewards that I deserve as the most you know superior human on the planet. You tell and then, yourself that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why hasn't it happened yet? <laughs> so that's my my plugs went on a lot longer than as usual. They went on a lot longer. No than worries, I, you know I have an interest. That's why I ask questions, my friend. So I'm, I'm I'm excited for you. So I'm looking forward to the developments during the next uh, few months here. Thank you very much. Let's jump into our first movie then, The Challenge of the Lady Ninja from 1983. Both, as Todd said, are from 1983. I have a, like a, a, a gut instinct that these movies were shot back to back because of the same personnel involved, some of the same yeah. sets and the settings. So they had them all gathered. Let's just shoot two movies, and they are they are quite uh, they are quite something. Um, to, you know, they deserve a discussion at least well, without uh, without revealing our uh, our uh, like verdicts yet. But uh, anyway, let's jump into it. Plot from my review of the film: Wong Siu-wai, played by Elsa Young, has been training in Japan to become a ninja and passes the final 
dangerous test. She's Chinese, by the way. Uh, she in need of going back to China because her father has died. It becomes clear he died at the hands of her fiance, Li Tung, played by Chen Kuantai, who is helping out the Japanese. Uh, gathering up a gang of female warriors and training them in the art of ninjutsu, or parts of the art of ninjutsu, I would say. Uh, the most suitable parts, as we'll talk about. Uh, Wong leads the rebellion against the opposing forces and closing in on her target of revenge in the process, which is again Li Tong, Chen Quan Tai's character. Okay, background. This movie is also known as Chinese Super Ninjas 2. <laughs> Just because there was a Chang Che film in the early 80s called Five Element Ninjas that was also known as Chinese Super Ninjas. It was a Shaw Brothers movie that is very, very popular. I've not seen it yet, but... Uh, it's okay. I, I, Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I'm not a big Chang Che fan, actually. I'm more of a fan of his earlier dramatic work in like the Venom's period and uh, definitely in the 80s he was getting old and Shaw Brothers was... Uh, no, almost uh, out of the game by 1982. So, but uh, you know, at least it's not one of those boring talking, uh, talky Venom's movies. Uh, it seems like yeah. it should be colorful to an extent, anyway. It is colorful, yes. Mm. Um, and you know, apparently that had some obviously supernatural crap going on. So therefore, Chinese Super Ninjas too, because <laughs> this movie has that as well. You know, retitle. Uh, they don't have the greatest, like, ninjutsu skill in terms of retitling movies. It's one of those lazy, like, uh, oh, well, it's semi-related. We'll put a two on that. That's good. You know, cut print moving on. Uh, but that that's an easy, like, AKA history. You know, wait till we get to the second movie of this episode. That has about five or six uh, extra titles, uh, whether they're official retitles or not. Um, I have a feeling that... Um, some of them were made up uh, for specific VHS releases only. So uh, there you go. Uh, but anyway, it's a pleasure for me to bring these two movies to the show, but also a spotlight on director Lee Chonam and why I think he's, you know, especially good and why he is to be admired. And uh, there's not a whole lot of notes on him, but we'll talk a little of uh, The Gentleman Despite. So... Uh, in short, from my perspective, because I've seen a fair few of his movies, he's one of the better directors of Taiwanese low-budget kung fu movies, whether it's Shaolin vs. Lama, Eagle's Claw, The Hot, The Cool, and The Vicious. And uh, I, have a, so I have a lot of fun with Lee Chonam uh, and his movies, and uh, but a lot more when his martial arts filmmaking, if you will, took on a more modern aura, as in these two movies, when it was not a period movie anymore, and kind of the craziness and inventive ideas got enhanced when uh, kind of the 80s started and uh, the settings uh, were more modern compared to the 70s, where barely anything was modern in comparison. It was all mm. period kung fu movies and very cheap uh, cheap ones. But uh, in the 80s, therefore, gave us other Lee Chonam movies, very colorful ones, uh, and he was not the only one making these, but boy, was that genre memorable. The fantasy genre from Taiwan that had movies like Kung Fu, Wonder Child, and Magic Warriors, which is, are these part of that frantic section of Taiwanese fantasy pictures that are such a delightful genre in itself, despite being head scratchers and more of a carousel. Because <laughs> you watch them, those movies bounce around like a pinball machine and light yeah. up like a pinball machine. But I... Fucking love those movies, you know, Child of Peach, Magic of Spell, uh, you know, those were Lee Chonam movies, but, you know, 
I love that genre to death, and uh, therefore I do too. We, we won't pass on that genre in terms of the coverage on this show. It, it will happen. Magic Warriors will happen. Child of Peach, Magic of Spell, and uh, what have you. So. Kung Fu Wonder Child, is sort, I think of as sort of an honorary Child of Peach movie. It's very similar, and it has the same star. Uh, so Yeah, that uh, yeah. female actress that always played a boy in this movie. Yes, yes, so. yeah. Quite convincingly, though, it was not like a you know a hottie that day. It like, wasn't, uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't like Polly Quan. Exactly, a little, like, that's a not a boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm blanking on the actress's name now, but regardless, we'll get to that. And yeah. uh, he was part of that genre. And uh, it, I, there's no, I couldn't find anyway, but I did dive super deeply anything into the web. So there's no biographical notes on the man, but sometimes the stories behind the men and the, and the women making these films, they aren't spectacular. They often studied film. They came uh, up through rankings, you know, starting as assistant director, doing maybe editing as well, cinematography as well, and eventually ending up uh, getting the chance to direct. It seems like there, there was a lot of very workmanlike, uh, directors and, and film professionals in this industry. And I think that's maybe why they don't have such interesting stories, because they, they were just making movies, you know? Sure. They were just, you know, they finish one film and move right on to the next, or they made more than one simultaneously. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if these two films that we're talking about were e- even overlapped to some extent, because there are so many costumes and sets and and elements that are reused in both of them. So it's like, yeah, how can you have a, a an interesting, scandalous life when you're just making films 247? Exactly. You know? so, yeah. so, and uh, it, it's kind of cool to just um, not make up your perspective on your own, but kind of like uh, put yourself in a mindset so, somehow of the director and kind of think like, when you watch movies like this, this was a director that kind of did it a, a little bit better than most low-budget kung fu directors of, in mm. Taiwan. There's definitely a visual f- flavor to uh, some of his films, uh, whether you know in terms of costumes or whether in terms of shot design or what have you. And and Lee really worked well with small budgets. That's why I mentioned you know three movies like Shaolin versus Law, My Eagle's Claw, and The Hot, The Cool, and The Vicious. They're, they're kind of like good starting points if you want to see how he does with a um, period martial arts movie. They have their share of colorful elements, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, And they're not like these uh, boring kung fu comedies that are copying uh, Snake and Eagle Shadow or anything like that. They, they are... They, they are um, they're entertaining and they're kind of comfort for her. So, uh, um, and has some crazy, frantic, energetic um, energy in there. So, and uh, reaches those levels, and uh, that's always mm-hmm. memorable. So that's really Lee Chonam in a nutshell. Uh, whatever we can, we can make up yeah. about Lee Chonam, we have now. So let's go into the movie's challenge of the Lady Ninja. First of all, can I get a brief uh, like or dislike uh, opinion of this movie before we dive deep into it, like the scholars that we are? <laughs> okay, um, indeed. Uh, actually, before I, I go into my opinion of the movie, uh, I, I wanted to point out, and you could probably glean this from from Ken's summary of it, but Challenge of the Lady Ninjas, it actually is a period film. This is supposed to be taking place during the Japanese occupation of China. You know, when I say modern, I don't, uh, it's uh, not a dynasty movie like, uh, like like a Ming, a Ming, Qing dynasty movie. I, I, but I, I wasn't making that very clear. So it's Oh, no, I, I, I knew. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny because I, because, 
not much effort is made to establish the period. I mean, all the cars are late model cars and people basically dress, you know, there's, you know, I don't think that pleather existed during the 1940s and there's, you know, one character who wears a head to toe black pleather outfit. Um, and the, and the Japanese guys all have big kind of poofy Wayne Newton haircuts, you know, so there's really not, but then there'll be odd, odd, uh, stabs that, setting period like there's one guy who's always wearing suspenders and like a newsboy cap so he sort of looks like he's from the 40s but everyone else not so much could have walked out of it pretty much any other Elsa Jung ninja movie it's honest it's like that's not what people come to this movie for they don't want to you know an accurate they're not looking to learn history from this movie they just want to see Elsa Jung kicking ass in a bunch of bizarre costumes and it delivers that I found this movie pretty entertaining I I, I didn't love it but I I think I uh, my my hopes were very high for it because I'd heard so much about it but it delivered you know um, it, it it didn't put as much of a showcase on her as some of her other movies. Yeah, the, I thought that, and and also both of these movies, the there's a lot of wire work and stuff, and there's a lot there's a lot of good you know good hand to hand fighting, but then there's a lot of people flying around on wires, and I'm actually somebody that really likes that, especially if it looks kind of phony. It's real. I think it's really fun. And when people are like, you know, there's a lot of slow-mo things of people flying after each other. A lot of explosions, a lot of people throwing those co colorful smoke bombs at people. So, yeah, when the action was going, I was all good with it. Yeah, not too sleazy, uh, which was nice. I, I, I was hoping to have a little break from the, the rapiness of some of the other movies we've watched. Well, thankfully, Lee Chunan was not really... I mean, he's made a movie called Killing in the Nude, but it, uh -huh. it, it, it was never really that, um, you know, harsh of a director. Um, uh, you know, you know, oftentimes it was fun, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, just uh, for my brief opinion, uh, I, I think uh, it, it is a fun movie. It's obviously not refined and fantastic, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. And I, I think uh, Lee Chunan and crew they come up as very, like, inspired and into their production. You know, they managed to fill the movie with a very assortment of creative trickery, you know, the uh -huh. fictional trickery. And despite yeah. opening the movie with music theft of the more obvious kind, we'll let, we'll let you know yes. what that is, you know, they, they're, still, they're still creating kind of their own product, you know, and therefore, and, and sincere product, and therefore, Lee's got me in his pocket throughout, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable in his hands and what have you, and, and in his pocket, so, so much fun. Uh, let's start from the top. You noticed uh, maybe briefly on your version of the film as well that uh, Filmark International pops up as distributor, and people may be familiar with Filmark. They were the other cut-and-paste ninja exploitation company. Uh, uh, you know, you had IFT making all those Richard Harrison movies, but Filmark did as well, eventually, because this movie is from the time where both IFD and Filmark were distributors of movies. They bought them, they put an English dub on them, and shot them on, onto the international market like normal companies. Uh -huh. <laughs> so so they got both Challenge of the Lady Ninja and The Life of Ninja, therefore. Um, so that's... Um, uh, people might recognize the logo uh, that uh, that way, and, and uh, Thomas Tang was the creative mind behind uh, Filmark. But uh, uh, that's all we see of um, Filmark and what have you. And, and also, by the way, they they 
seen as they were distributors, they weren't like changing the credits akin to these Godfrey Ho movies where they westernized all the names and what have you. They just changed everything into English and Lee Chonam is Lee Chonam and not like Bernard Lee or, or some other, yeah. you know, even, you know, even, even, you know, Elsa Jung isn't even Elsa Jung on the print, you know, it's her Chinese name. Right. Uh, so, yeah. so it's mainly an export print, a simple export print, and uh, that's uh, that's all good. Um, you know, you you'd have to be an idiot kind of to not know that the opening uh, sting that intros Chen Quan Tai's <laughs> character is from somewhere familiar. But I'm still working on it. I, I, I it was familiar. I haven't figured out what it is. I'm still sifting through all my DVDs. Uh, no, it's yeah, it's when they first introduce uh, Li Tang and. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the Imperial March from Star Wars. Yes. Da 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 da. <laughs> Taken with permission, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely, I'm sure. And it is great. I mean, it's not like uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's just fits, and it becomes a fun part of the movie already. Like this massive zoom in, the classic Hong Kong or Taiwan <laughs> cinema zoom in onto. Yeah, Chihuahua. you're left in no doubt. It's it's a handy shorthand in that one. After that bit, you're like, okay, that I guess that's the bad guy. You know, but uh, but uh, I, I like also the opening. It, it kind of, without spoiling it, it signals that Chen Quan Tai isn't firmly anyway this this villain that is just like ha, 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 you will die uh-huh. and I will rule whatever <laughs> it is this movie says I will rule. You know, you kind of see it in his face that because it's Elsa Jung's dad that dies during this uh, attempt on Lee Tung's life that he he's kind of hesitant to like. He doesn't firmly like it, so it's a villain with a little bit of humanity rather than that fun though uh, trope or genre staple of <laughs> type of villain. You know, he never loves something in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah, both these movies are interesting because the villains are sort of taken out of the world of business. It's less your flamboyant clan or you know cult leaders that you see in other martial arts films. I mean, uh, and in both. Uh, Elsa Jung has sort of another identity as sort of a prim, very business-like woman in her, you know, her suits and and everything. Uh, so that was also part of of the villain's sort of reservedness was that he was a more of a man of business than a cackling mad scientist or cult leader or whatever. Which could have been fun, but still, it's it's good to have some variation. But uh, uh, that 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 shit is over quick, and we get Elsa Jung uh, really in a sequence that you'd think uh, would be at the end of the movie because they put a lot in her opening sequence. So I, I mean, what we get here, I mean, it's hard to remember everything, but what we get here is obviously her final test as uh, to become a ninja. It turns out because what what it feels like is a bunch of black ninjas attacking her. And uh, mm-hmm. through uh, they have they have shields that are set on fire, and she and her stunt double have to tumble through the you know the shields that are put on fire. Right. And there's lots of wires, lots of tumbles, and a really exciting, like and dangerous looking sequence because uh, she is doubled, yeah, but she is literally put into the ring of fire at one point. Uh, That's you know. right. I think what the problem was for me is that I watch both films back to back. I watch <laughs> I watch Life of Ninja and and Challenge immediately after that 
ended, I'd put challenge on and watch that. So these movies bleed together a little bit, and they have the same starts, and there's lots of ninja training sequences in them. But, but do you remember the um, do you remember the um, technique that the female ninjas? can use uh, in these movies you know the 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 magically undressing technique yeah where she creates herself a a, a mirage of herself kind of to fool yeah. to fool men i've not seen that touch in other movies and that's refreshing that's true yeah well she, she does and it's just it's like wonder woman she starts spinning around and instead of turning into na- uh, wonder woman she turns into just a more naked version of herself And then all the, the Japanese soldiers start, look, hey, you know, and they're distracted. And yeah, so they yeah because men are dumb, you know, men are stupid. Right. We got boobs. Right. <laughs> and and uh, she she never gets um uh, she she never gets naked. Elsa Young, she's nearly naked. I'll tell you this movie, but mm. not uh, as such. And uh, I I love that that uh, creating that mirage of herself. And then when yeah. all the men jump into the ring. The mirage detonates. <laughs> right. Yes, so. and blows up. Yeah, that was cool. Now, but there is another. As always, there's another actress who's tasked with all the film's nudity, and I'm not sure who that was, but she played the character that, in the version I watched, was named Chi Chi, and she was a prostitute, and she was like talking about how no man could resist her, so she was sort of their sexual secret weapon. And they would use her to seduce the, you know, the the bad guys. One one thing I want to say actually is uh, about the bad guy, about um, Li Tong, is that even though he was kind of a reserved and a little bit ambiguous bad guy, he had awesome minions. He had his bodyguards were great, and uh, I just wanted to mention the one guy who looked like Klaus Nomi. And I can't remember what that actor's name is. It's like Richard something. He has a Western first name. Right. Uh, you're, you're not talking about the guy with the tattoo on his head? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that would be Robert Tai, who's actually a filmmaker himself. Uh, he made the classic Ninja the Final Duel with Alexander Lowe Ray. Oh, okay. That's uh, Robert Tai with um, a lot of cool ninjutsu in that one, including uh, flying water spiders. Oh, cool! Oh, yeah, pretty pretty cool, and and nude fights too, because uh, why not? So, uh, and the you know the distinctive tattoo on his head in this one uh, means that again, kind of a theme of okay, let's make the movies memorable, let's put some color in there. Alicia and I'm certainly made had cool character designs in his movies. Yes. Uh, it tracks back all the way back to the hot, the cool, and the vicious one. One guy's like is. Face is all uh, white, and he's got a blonde wig on. And I know that sounds simple, mm-hmm. but you got them, and you remember it from the from yeah, the movie. Yeah, I love that stuff. So. Yeah, it's it's very cartoony, but I I don't think there's anything wrong with these films being cartoony. I think they're they're better for it when they are. So that yeah, so there's that guy, and he was really cool looking, and and then the and then the woman who wears the black pleather outfit. Um, and 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 that sequence, I'll, I'll cut you off right there. That's a that, that that's a section you gotta discuss in in lengthy detail. So we'll get to that because uh, that's the wrestling sequence uh, later on with her with her and Elsa Young. Yeah. Uh, the the thing is, when you see an opening like that opening test, you think like, oh my god, is the movie showing its hands way too early, and is the rest of the movie just gonna peter out? And uh, you, you could say that for both a Life of Ninja and Challenge of the Lady Ninja. But mm-hmm. the thing is, I think it never really peters 
this out. It, it does have a quite a steady stream of uh, of color and entertainment to uh, to give us along the way. Because you, yeah. you you'd think the opening to this movie would be an ending sequence, but it, it actually is. Uh, they put their all into uh, the opening, which is uh, pretty cool, actually. Yeah, this movie was not boring. I will say that for sure. I was never bored watching either of these movies. Really, they were both very well paced. You know, even if I didn't always understand what was going on, uh, or you know which character was which, it it kept me interested throughout. Yeah, yeah, it kind of moves. You know, I, I agree. It's not refined storytelling, and I kind of tune out uh, in terms of the nuances of the plot you know i don't focus too much on that because uh, i it's enough kind of to focus on the basics because the movie isn't out to tell this uh deep emotional story or anything it's it's out to be uh its focus is another elsa jung training movie you you remember virago or deadly silver angels where she trained uh, the girls in bikinis we 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 get a training we get a training montage here as well and it's pervy not as pervy as Vir- which one was the one where they were doing all the back bends in their panties? Was that Virago? That yeah, was Virago. Or, uh, yeah, uh, but this, yeah, they, they, the the sleaze is is kind of clumsily mixed in there because they're doing this ninja training and they're doing you know sort of the things you'd expect you know some gymnastics and some acrobatics and and sparring but then all of a sudden they're mud wrestling in their underwear and it's and it's just like what does this have to do with you know the ancient art of ninjutsu is mud wrestling is part of that i I have an explanation for that okay thank you because just because yep yep Mud wrestling, yes, and uh, we'll we'll linger on it a little bit too much, uh, as and uh, we do it for two movies as well because it turns up in a life of ninja. The explanation, because no, I know that <laughs> I, I know I know I'm being a little facetious, uh, but uh, it, it's a little it, it's a little clumsy in how it's integrated. I, I, I could agree but, with that because they never like uh, it even opens the life of ninja and, and uh, it's never fall it's never like paid off or anything they must they wrestle in mud and that's kind of what they do and uh, there's no like final fight in the mud <laughs> right exactly yeah well, yeah it's not like a Polly Chan Kwan movie where it's like why the hell are they packing her up in a snowman you know is this just be weird but then at the end she's actually having a fight you know, in like the in the Antarctic or something like that, where they it actually pays off. No, you know, you know that if you're familiar with these movies, yeah, you know when they're fighting in the mud, it's just for the sake of them fighting in the mud, because and also because who cares? So and and and, and they would certainly attract the men to this movie. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm not saying that because I'm sex sexist or anything. It's just like I I kind of know what they're playing for here, and it's not necessarily a dual audience, uh, you know. But uh, I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it even has nudity for heaven's sake. And uh, um, so there you go. I mean, it uh, flashes some exploitation hands, if you will. Uh, yes. But, uh, that kind of becomes a cool uh, structure for a while, like how they take out each of the bodyguards, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that therefore, like, the pervy training comes kind of full circle, you know. The girls are taught these, um, uh, to, to create these, uh, you know, se- sexual mirage, uh, mirages, if you will. But uh, one of the girls has to uh, take on this uh, sadistic bodyguard, and I'm meaning sensually, you know, sexually, sadistic bodyguard and it's a hilarious sequence because she's giving a lot of tools to like take him on like poison mm-hmm. to put in his drink right. 
what else? And what if that doesn't work? She keeps saying, and what if that doesn't work? Oh, exactly. well, then there's this. And what if that doesn't work? Well, then there's this. And then finally... What if that she, doesn't work? Well, <laughs> well, then you're shit out of luck is basically how it ends up. But she has about six contingency plans, and all of them involve some kind of poison. The ninja... There's a lot in both these movies about the ninja poisons, you know, that yep. only the ninjas use. And so she has all kinds of poisons that she can administer in many different ways. And I really... I liked... I didn't see that coming, the way that she... what she did at the end of that scene. It was a good finishing move, though. Definitely enjoyed that. This is the only thing I got left, and then she just primarily just um, you know, bites him to death, I suppose, and that's... Uh... yeah. That's that, and I, I love to see. It's so funny, like it's derailed so quickly because uh, she has um, a poison she could put on her lipstick, and he, I hate women with lipstick on. Wipe it <laughs> off. Now you're my type. After he's wiped it off, and you're like, oh my god, this is going to hell in like thirty seconds, and she's down to her final, like yeah. Uh, uh, or like poisonous, uh, like little teeth piece that she had. I suppose or tooth piece she had, like. Yeah, that yeah. She, I mean, I didn't understand what the things was, but obviously it was something she put in her teeth. Yeah, because her teeth were sharp, and she basically vampires the guy to death. But it was very gratifying because the scene was, I thought, you know, it's basically a rape scene. But then she she definitely gets the upper hand, though not before having all of her clothes ripped off. But you know. That. That's this is the kind of film that we're talking about. So, and do you do you know the name who that actress was? Uh, to be honest, no. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I'm. Um, she's not uh, named in the HKMDB credits. Uh, no, she's not. Yeah. I, I mean, even uh, even the Peng Kong character, the, like the ninja who opposes that Elsa Jung is allowed to train anyway. Uh, only has uh, uh, with the Japanese uh, only has the credit of jealous ninja. Jealous ninja, yeah, I love that. So I mean, he's obviously a key character, but um, uh, that, that's as deep as they go. Um, yeah. But but okay, uh, another bodyguard encounter is when because uh, Elsa Jung is not standing, you know, idly and watching all of this, she gets to participate uh, herself. And uh, she gets the responsibility after all is said and done to take out a female bodyguard that Lee Tong has uh, has uh, in his stable. Uh, she's played by Yin Su Lee, and um, there's a fight in the ring. And um, I'm sure you have a note or two about the fight in the ring, Todd. I just re I remember the fight where she's where it started with her ripping the girl's pants off. That was that was the opening that was the opening move. I don't remember it being in the ring. I thought it was a street fight. No, I mean okay. uh, they they let the water out and therefore uh, they, they are in a ring. For some reason there is a ring and they let uh, they let water out, which I thought was oil first uh, because uh, Elsa Jung in her high heels kind of becomes slippery. But it turns out it's water and Elsa Jung strips. Accordingly yes, as well. It's all coming back to me. Th yes. Thank you for tossing that to me because I didn't want to address this. They well, they kind of strip each other in the course of this fight, but what El down to their to their frilly unmentionables. But what Elsa Young is wearing under her <laughs> outfit, is I did a, not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, it's, I did not see that coming. But she is wearing is a nude body stocking with black. Male handprints covering the delicate bit. So, even her bottom. Even her butt. Yeah, her butt crack. 
her crotch and her boobs have these uh, these hand, black handprints on them, but otherwise she's wearing a nude body stocking. And they're fighting in water, so it's like, you know, so it's like wet nylon, basically, or whatever it is. And then the other girl, like, the first the first thing Elsa Hyung does is rip her pants off. And, uh, it's on now! And, and then, it's, yeah, it was, uh, and then somehow the rest of her clothes get ripped off and she's wearing like a camisole basically so it's yeah so it's it's, it's color uh, man it's, it's color. Yeah. yeah so yeah that that's about that's about all i noted about that fight i mean it was a pretty good fight other than that but seemed to be mostly about clothes uh you know uh, uh disrobing while fighting i mean they're not doing that uh, uh clothing choice to be serious and deep, it's clearly a production. Like uh, you know, that would be funny. Let's do yeah. that. And Elsa, you're into it. Like fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> you know, let's do it. And, yeah, because uh, up to that point, her outfits in the movie were pretty conservative for by her standards. Because <laughs> usually she wears some pretty wild outfits. Um, you know, her ninja outfit is red. That's worth noting. Oh, yeah. Um, she looks but, uh, fetching in that one, in, in that red yes. outfit. i got to tell you that. It's, uh, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the body stocking. Yeah, I was just, it was so silly looking. I didn't, I, I kind of forgot to be aroused by it. I just was <laughs> like, that is the silliest looking thing I've ever seen. Oh, there's a lot of, who was the guy that threw up the giant spider webs? I, I loved all, I love anything with a spider web motif. And this had some great scenes. This but one guy. The, her fight scene with Robert Ty, the guy with the tattoo on his head. Uh, involved uh, him throwing up that big spider web, and it's as I mean we're talking physical special effects here, and they kind of pulled that off really admirably, and uh, the timing is very good, and uh, you know you it, it flows, you know it's a it, it's not as like sloppy sluggish effect, and it just a mm-hmm. you know you throw it up like uh, like it's a magnet or something like that. I, I don't know, but it, the Taiwanese filmmakers threw a lot of trial and error through the seventies and eighties. Really uh, refined, um, refined a wire you as well. I mean, that's obviously a wire effect to throw up that uh, to throw up that thing. But uh, I, I I enjoy that flow. It makes the movie uh, movies fun when they kind of um, yeah the energy is right. I, I think that's one thing. So yeah. And then there was another guy who who burrowed underground, which is I love that when they do that. There's a few other movies they have they do that in. Uh, in a dwarf sorcerer too, where the he's, the dwarf sorcerer is able to burrow into the ground like really fast, like a mole, and then I think it's Elsie Young and that guy have a fight underground in his little mole hole. It's the final fight between her and Peng Kong, the the man, the Japanese man who didn't approve of her being trained the as a jealous ninja. ninja. Yes. Yeah. And he, he's also the movie's action director for uh, for Life of Ninja as well. I actually, uh, it's a good pull to, to mention that because you, you've you seen ninjas travel underground, but, but, you know, it's obviously above an above ground shot. And I love that we get, it's a very simple shot, uh, just, you know, the actor kind of mimicking, you know, digging underground, but it's all in a dark set. Uh, but I love the insistence to actually do it. And he pulls down Elsa Jung underground as well. And they have a little exchange underground. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It's kind of easy, but impressive that they just go for it and kind of 
clinch the energy uh, that the, the, like the fun is there. Uh, it's not a, an embarrassing like detour to take that on the ground. Uh, and um, yeah, I also buy that um, insistence to kind of uh, just throw as much as they can on there. Some things will look ropey. Some of the wires will look ropey, but uh, most of the stuff here I can't uh, say anything negative about because at least I did it. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes the film move and makes it entertaining. It's, you know, it's silly, but hey, I'd, I'd take that over one of the really talky, you know, one of those really talky um, IFD movies pretty much any day. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm not a fan. But, uh, <laughs> but, but considering the plot for this one, uh, that it's a period piece and a Japanese occupation, it is indeed just focusing on the fun, and it's enough to focus on the basics, and it's a kind of a, a decent fireworks display of content that uh, you'll, you'll remember some of, and hopefully you, yeah. listener, will return to it to, just to see what you missed, because all you could remember was the border stocking. <laughs> no, the rest of the movie's memory like blank but the body stocking was so firm in your memory that I need to return to the movie to check what else was in there and maybe you'll remember the underground shot during the second viewing and during the third viewing you'll have it all in your memory hopefully anyway but yeah if you're looking for a, a intense docudramatic uh, depiction of the Japanese occupation of, of China, like, uh, you know, City of Life and Death or something like that. That is not this movie. We're more in, it's, I, I thought we were more in sort of a fantasy mission force territory as far as its approach to uh, World War II history, uh, which is a compliment, <laughs> believe it or not. Chu Yinping might as well have made this movie too, but uh, Lee Chunam is coming at it with um, sort of similar sensibilities um, uh, as well, you know. He's in it for the fun, and it translates. Um, all right, yeah, as for availability, uh, more unofficial than official availability nowadays. I'm sure it had local VHS releases, you know, in Hong Kong and Taiwan. Uh, but mostly full-screen dubbed versions are making the rounds as uh, that super Chinese Super Ninjas 2 titles, I'm sure. But during the last five, six years ago, uh, five, six years or so, uh, the Japanese widescreen VHS print has turned up in, in circulation, you know, and uh, that's what we watch. And it's, uh, it's a decent, uh, not too goofy English dub that Filmark uh, presumably produced. And, uh, and obviously their scope for aiming is way more preferable. And, um, you can, it still turns up on eBay every now and again. So you can, uh, uh you can still get it. And, uh, the Japanese video companies were very, uh, they, they, they requested this because, uh, Japan, if anything, was, uh, they led the way uh, at one point in terms of okay, it it has to be widescreen, you know. They um, and, and they requested that for for horror titles and action titles that were not widescreen in the West, for instance. So um, uh, so that that's my personal uh, pick uh, in terms of how to watch it if you can watch it. So search it out. I I recommend it uh, even highly for for my money's worth. I, I return to this movie fairly frequently, so uh, that must mean something. Let's take a short break, and after that, it's uh, to the other movie that they probably shot at the same time and overlapped and would have. And it's called A Life of Ninja from 1983, which sounds like a docudrama as well. He has, he has the life of a ninja, and you watch him slowly go about his day. Right. Eating uh, his breakfast. Uh, uh, but thankfully, no, it's not that. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that after a break.
The ninja are an ancient Japanese warrior sect with remarkable prowess in the martial arts. Perfect their skills, the ninja undergo a training regime of unremitting rigor. Welcome back in the second review of this episode is A Life of Ninja, also from 1983, also directed by Lee Chun-Am, also starring Chen Kwantai and Elsa Jung, but uh, the roles are kind of reversed. Uh, first movie was the Elsa Jung vehicle, this is a Chen Kwantai vehicle. So, here we go, plot from my review of the film. Uh, uh, despite being such a crazy movie, it is actually a rather mon- mundane and way too seriously told plot, though, but... but um, I- this is how it goes, regardless. Uh, it's about a ninja expert, played by Chen Kwantai, being hired as a uh, bodyguard and used by the police for his expertise. Uh, he's hired by a company boss, played by played by and with constant anger by a Chen Hung Lee. That is true. He's a barking dog throughout the movie, like... <laughs> Uh, Chen Hung Lee we've seen as a bad guy in tons of movies, but uh, most notably, Come Drink With Me. He's the eunuch uh, fighter in King Who's classic uh, Come Drink With Me, but he's been in a ton of uh, even Shaw Brothers and Taiwanese movies and what have you. But um, So here, here he is again, and uh, he is targeted, the company boss, by the Iga clan, led by Japanese uh, actor, ac- action performer, and Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema mainstay in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and it's uh, Yasuaki Kurata, um, among other things, uh, you've seen him in uh, Fist of Legend. It's a high-profile role, but he's been in a ton of movies. Uh, the targets uh, is not only the company boss, but it also includes uh, the character Elsa Jung plays and her sister-in-law, uh, who also uh, they are they are in danger as well as uh, the business that they uh, that they involve themselves in as well. They're a company yeah. family, if you will. So yeah, and Elsa Elsa Jung is actually a business rival of uh, of. The other guy whose name I can't remember. The guy who's the bi- the businessman who's her brother-in-law. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chan uh, Ming Fu was the character name. Chan Ming, yeah, Chan Ming Fu, because uh, she apparently blames him for her father's death and you know stealing the 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 company away from the family and treating her sister like crap and all that. So. <laughs> that that's what yeah. he has to say. That's his dialogue in actuality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely right. He's like a he's like a yippy dog throughout the whole movie. He is. Yeah, he's not a pleasant character. <laughs> You're on board. And and Elsa Young also it has to be said is leads a double life. She's like a successful businesswoman. And at the same time, she's a lady ninja in this movie, also. So uh, we'll 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 get, in, get into her and her co- her kind of contributions and content and what have you. But a short bio on actor Chen Kwantai, I think, is in is in order as he is the lead of this film and more of a supporting actor in the first one. He was born in 1945, actor and director, mostly associated with his high-profile stint at Shaw Brothers during the 70s. Uh, he didn't train at Shaw's to learn movie fighting, but he came to the studio as an already accomplished martial artist. He won. Uh, he was a 1969 East Asia light heavyweight champion boxer. He had been training monkey-style kung fu or martial arts since the age of eight. And uh, when he did arrive at Shaw Brothers, among among the many credits that he logged, uh, many would point, uh, and rightly so, to the movies of uh, Chang-Chi. They did a lot of movies, uh, early 70s to mid-70s. He jumped a little between studios and what have you, but uh, 
to quote some uh, excellent roles, uh, at least in my opinion, uh, you can start at the classic boxer from Shantung that Chang Che directed, which was Chen Quan Tai's first lead role at Shaw Brothers. Uh, that was actually remade into a movie called Hero, starring uh, Yumbyu and Takashi Kaneshiro in 1997. So, um, if uh, people didn't know that, he is also in uh, Blood Brothers for Chang Che alongside Dick Long and David Chang, and they formed this. Uh, I mean, Dick Long and David Chang were the deadly duo, and when you added Chang Che, they always called that kind of the golden triangle. But I, I always put Chen Quan Tai in the mix deserved a mention because he really was part of um, the impact uh, some of these movies had. Uh, Heroes 2 he was in as well alongside Fu Sheng uh, but he also did modern efforts at um, Shaw Brothers uh, triad movies like The Tea House. Uh, he worked with Lao Galung, classic director Lao Galung uh, in movies like Executioners from Shaolin. That was a appearance movie, the first appearance of uh, Pai Mei, the white-haired villain that Law Leet uh, kind of uh, became legendary for, and obviously that was carried over to Kill Bill as uh, Gordon Liu played the Pai Mei character. I think Quinton wanted Law Leet for the role, but Law Leet had passed away prior to the making of uh, Kill Bill. I, yeah, I heard that too. That would have been so awesome. I don't know if he would would have been able to do much, uh, but uh, regardless, uh, that, that was a correct train of thought. Obviously, Quinton knew of uh, Law Leet, but he had Gordon Liu for the production, and it's the kind of the next best thing because Gordon was in the uh, sort of comedy sequel to Executioners uh, from Shaolin called Fist of the White Lotus, where uh, Pai Mei is uh, there as well. Law Leet plays him, but it's a more comedic movie, and it's a lot of fun. So uh, he, he he's certainly been around and what have you. Uh, Chen Quan Tai also did Crippled Avengers. I've not seen that, but also directing classics like uh, The Iron Monkey, uh, the 1977 Iron Monkey, not the Donnie Yen movie, as well as um, more, again, uh, modern day action movies, but I think that's a 40s movie as, as well, called Big Boss of Shanghai, uh, which was um, done outside of Shores. So, um, I think he was allowed, his contract allowed for him to jump between studios. Uh, some Shaw Brothers players were kind of forced to just stay at the Shaw Brothers studio and live there. You know, they obviously had living, they were able to live there as well. So it's uh, sort of a movie prison, but, uh, you know, it's Shaw, Shaw Brothers, you know, exposure was uh, was uh, guaranteed in a way. Uh, he was always, you know, rough and big looking. You know, he gave off a really, like, powerful and, you know, a muscular kind of um, impression, but he was never typecast as villains per default just because of his look. Um, so he... You know, you got to play heroes a lot of the time, a lot of the times as well. When the eighties hit, uh, Shaw Brothers weren't as prof, uh, prolific, and uh, and he wasn't as prolific as well. And obviously, Shaw Brothers closed production in the mid eighties. But uh, Chen Quan Tai continued to work, obviously in Taiwan, and works to this day as well. In terms of eighties credits, are kind of memorable. Uh, I'd like to quote the charity movie for. Chang Che called Just Heroes that was directed by Wu Ma and John Wu. Chen Quan Tai was in that uh, alongside a lot of the Shaw Brothers players, but this was um, a heroic bloodshed movie that they did as a, kind of a charity project for Chang Che at the time. Uh, he was also in a movie that has finally been identified. It's called Red Rattlesnake. And the reason I say that is this was this um, Taiwanese gangster movie, a very brutal one that was part of the Godfrey Ho cut-and-paste movie, Majestic Thunderbolt. Majestic Thunderbolt! <laughs> but it was not a ninja movie. It was one of their, their like, modern uh, sort of like thriller action movies, if you will. Um, mm. And for the longest of time, no one could identify the movie, despite having, you know, 
several players that you can recognize. But finally, it's identified as Red Rattlesnake. And I, I would love to see the original movie because it kicks ass and it's so brutal. And uh, if we jump uh, to 2010, as we said, he's still working. Uh, Chen Quan Tai was in the award-winning old-school homage Gallants that was directed by Derek Kwok and Clement Cheng that really was, you know, he was a veteran that brought comfort to that role and decades-long skill in terms of, like, just making your presence felt. And it was both a heartwarming film, it's a, it's a hilarious film, and it's rich on terrific action by the veterans. You know, Chen Quan Tai does action very well, uh, shot in not in this frantic modern way with quick cutting, but in uh, a 70s, 80s way with stable cameras. And uh, him and Bruce Lung look really good in the action department, and it's... Um, a really highly recommended film, Gallants. If uh, no, if you haven't seen it, Todd, or if anyone else hasn't seen Gallants, it rightly won the Best Picture award at that year's Hong Kong Film Awards. And um, it was a, many were surprised, but I think it was the right choice because it just hit hit all the notes so perfectly. I have not seen it, but I have heard a lot of good things about it from people I trust, including you now. So uh, yeah, I think I feel duty bound to watch it. In fact, I'm going to watch it now. See ya. Okay, see ya. <laughs> Bye. A life of Ninja is also awesome. Bye. <laughs> a, quick, a quick opinion. I don't know necessarily if his appearance in uh, the Rissa's uh, directorial debut, The Man with the Iron Fists, is um, anything. But he is in that. He plays Gold Lion, um, a movie I'm not particularly um, eager to see, not based on anything. It's just like, mm, that doesn't look appealing to me. Yeah, so, no, so it's, it's as right. easy as that. And I heard mixed uh, things about uh, the man with the iron fists, but it's cool that he got in there. I think a veteran performance like uh, Long Guy An, aka Beardy, was in it briefly. So, um, uh, so he obviously cast some familiar faces um, of uh, his, and, and there is a nose, his kung fu stuff. But uh, uh, as director and lead, I heard uh, mixed things about that movie. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about a life of ninja. And again, a little, uh, a little quick blurb, a little bite-sized opinion first, uh, if um, if you have one for us. Talk. So, a life of ninja, yay or nay? Are my opinions ever bite-sized? I try, honestly. Um, this this was okay. I I I definitely like this the least of the two. I I think it was overshadowed by Challenge of the Lady Ninja. As you said, it's a little bit more po faced, a little bit more serious, while still being pretty silly, you know. But it seems to take itself a, a little bit more seriously, which makes it a little more leaden than it might be. Still fast paced, a lot of great like wire work action scenes. Um, there it opens with an awesome training montage, which actually I wanted to ask you a question about because, you know, it opens classic kind of opening with some white guy yelling at you about the ninjas, about how <laughs> they, at you, like, hey! you know, <laughs> right. An ancient Japanese clan with remarkable prowess in the martial arts, you know, and then you see... Um, all these uh, sort of tableau of ninjas training, a lot of which just looks like it's um, underwear torture taken from some sexploitation movie. <laughs> then you think like there's a lot of scenes of women in underwear hanging upside down, who I, who I assume are training to be ninjas. But then El when Elsa Young's character goes to the to the head of the clan and tells uh, him that she wants to be 
trained as a ninja. He's like, no, no women allowed. <laughs> and it's like, so so is torturing women in their underwear part of the, I mean, were these women not ninjas? I mean, what was your take on that? Uh, or was it's, it a good, just... it's a good question because those women, uh, they are on the poster as well. Uh, they they sink them into ice at one point, so you'd think that, okay, well, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> kind of, I get the training, but uh, I don't know, maybe they killed those women, so from, from now on, no women allowed because we fucked up. Maybe that's the subtext. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so she's, uh, so yeah, that was interesting. So you're asking me what I thought of the movie. I thought it was okay. I wouldn't recommend it. I, I'd recommend it highly because I think it's a lot of fun despite being serious. Uh, I, um, you know, I, I, I like the directorial energy here. I mean, there's some, again, I've said colorful elements of plenty of times and I, I, I still mean it. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's a lot, there's a lot of genuine fun and kind of clever moments as well, uh, in the movie. And, uh, I think throughout these movies, I, I can say Lee Chun, um, is at his most inspired for my money as well. I mean, uh, it's just, um, yeah, they're, they're very cool and there are some clever, clever things here, clever shots technically and what have you. Uh, he, he was not a storyteller by heart, but a filmmaker wanting fun up there on the screen. And, uh, it, it certainly, it, he certainly got that. Uh, up there, and as you said, it opens with this um, training montage. That uh, kind of okay. They're training in in actual ninjutsu. You know, they uh, uh, you see uh, Yasuaki Kurata put out uh, candles, just shooting an arrow across candles. So you know, okay, it's a strict training regime uh, that is about precision, and they learn according to the voiceover, learn about poisons, they learn about dots, they learn... And again, there is mud wrestling. I was about to say they learn about mud wrestling, and we see the <laughs> mud wrestling go on for a lot more than the other mentioned content. Yes. It goes on yes. for quite a bit, and all is set to this score that is the Rocky score, but isn't at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. I thought when it started it was just going to be a pinched bit of the Rocky score, but it actually goes in a musical direction. They, like, change it just enough not to, not to make it actionable, which is uh, pretty sophisticated, you know? That's, like, the kind of things you see in commercials, you know, where they'll, you know, well, we couldn't afford this Lover Boy song, so we just <laughs> had some poor slub write a version that sounds like you know that's like 90 percent close to it but uh yeah this both of these movies in other than i guess the you know taking the imperial march from star wars is pretty audacious and if you do that you don't really need to do much more but there's not a lot of i didn't recognize a lot of ripped off tunes in either of these movies yeah it is the, indeed a big one it's the star wars fair one and this one um i love by the way in the opening uh, where the voiceover are uh, talking about you know when the ninjas are on operation they dress in black and they come in the dark it that takes place during a daytime shot where they're scaling the mountain, <laughs> and, right. and they're scaling the mountain, and then they're uh, they're climbing down again. It's almost like, oh yeah, we don't operate in the daytime. The narrator <laughs> says so. It's like they almost we gotta wait until dark until we do this again. <laughs> Uh, I always fa fa found that humorous. They operate in the dark, and you you'd almost think like they turn to the camera like, huh? Oh, 
oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like an airplane kind of spoof, <laughs> yeah. spoof moment. Yeah, it's so. like in the Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah. If I were to sum up the dialogue in this movie, because this is another one where it starts out and it's all in the ninja encampment and their lair and their training ground and everything. It's like, well, what period is this? 15th century, 16th century? No, it's modern modern day Taiwan, you know, you eventually see. And then, and so all these murders and threats of murder start happening and it becomes obvious that it's a ninja. And the dialogue in the movie is like, ninja, 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 <laughs> ninja, 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 every other word feels like it's a ninja. And then like when there's the murder, the, I think the first murder is the woman who's murdered in the shower with an ice knife, which I is pretty cool. I love that. That's pretty clever that because they use this ice knife and that off the, the, she's been stabbed. That 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 will melt away, and they and that that will be it. But it leads to a great piece of stupidity uh, because uh, <laughs> when you get the coroner scene there, where yes. they talk about well, we couldn't find the entry point until we you know looked in her back, but the entry point is marked with a triangle, a black <laughs> triangle, and you'd think to yourself, what a Dumbass! Why? Why couldn't you see that? Why are you saying that that was so microscopic and hidden? <laughs> at the same at the same time, this is the coroner who knows more about ninjas than anybody else in Taiwan. It's because he goes on about this is. I think once they determine the poisons, he knows all about ninja poisons and the poison that he that she was killed with is something that was. It was derived from chrysanthemum stamens, he says, but he goes on, but this was used by the ninja clan of blah, 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 blah. And it's like, wow, you know a lot about... And, 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 I, and I don't think he marked that entry point himself with a triangle, not like he used a yeah. magic marker on her. I think <laughs> it's like it's clever, but it still leaves a, a trace other than the entry wound. But uh, I, I still like the idea of uh, the murder weapon literally melting away, which is, was a, a clever yeah. little thing, which maybe was in another movie that I should know of. But uh, hey, I'm, I'm just uh, basing it on this one, and I thought that was uh, pretty cool, really, that the use of... Uh, uh, poison as a murder technique throughout the movie is uh, is uh, pretty cool. You you got the um, the the female ninja who has sex with this guy. And she scratches his back and she pours uh, poison into the wounds uh, on his back, which was uh, pretty cool actually. I like that too. Um, I, yeah, I will say about this movie that it was interesting for being a mystery, and I didn't think the mystery was actually going to pay off because it seems like at some point. The ninjas are trying to kill, like, everybody in the movie. They're trying to kill, you know, Elsa. They're trying to kill... Every character is, gets a death threat from the ninjas. And it's it's kind of a mystery, like, who's putting the ninjas up to this and why they're doing this. And I, I kind of... I think because I'm too used to seeing these movies, I didn't expect for that ever to pay off. I didn't really expect... I just expect did for the movie just to end in a fight and we'd never find out why this was happening. But I was wrong. They actually, there is actually a payoff to the mystery. Um, not It wasn't that surprising. No, I mean, it's not uh, a usual suspects kind of twist or anything. We, we won't yeah. reveal it, though, but uh, yeah. it's, um, yeah, I agree. And uh, we, we obviously, they are hired killers. You know, they're not very righteous ninjas. I mean, they're, they're allowed a righteous death. You know, an honorable death, but otherwise they're just uh, the Eager Clan 
uh, you know, you got to eat, you got to survive. So they they all hired killers uh, and uh, ask no questions. You know, just uh, if they if they're paid, then that's fine. Elsa Jung's first fight scene. I, I'm, I I know I sound very sleazy and very sexist, but <laughs> she fights in leather pants in her first fight scene against oh, yeah. Chen Tai. Woof. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm interested now. Uh, I'm not sure that is. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely sure that is not practical, and maybe those pants are more, uh, you know, roomy than uh, we see on screen. But still, what an intro! I mean, it's not a classic fight scene, but Elsa Jung in leather pants, man. <laughs> you know, I primal that way, Tori. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm Elsa Young wears Elsa Young in leather. It, se- it seems like a very natural combination somehow. And it's always there. Uh, it, it triggers a romance between those two, which is not very important for the movie. Well, well, well no. pl- plot-wise, yeah, a little bit, but it's not something you remember from the movie. I, 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 I still remember. For some reason, it is Chen Hung Li's role that is just so awesome. Again, he's barking at everything. He's, you know, because he, he's a suspect of murder at one point uh, of uh, uh, of one girl, and he's very open about. What an asshole he is, you know. I, th- those girls, I'm just off there rolling the hay, you know. <laughs> those girls mean nothing to me. <laughs> I have appetites. You know, yes, he's, <laughs> he's a horrible guy. It's great to have that the job, you know. I don't think that would have come through as in a way more funnier way in Mandarin. Uh, so it's great to have that dubbed. Yeah, yeah. I did find this the business. You know, it, the film sort of the backdrop of the world of big business. I found that kind of dreary because I have so little interest in that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hate on this film at all. It was fine. It was fine. It was just I thought challenge, challenge was a lot more colorful. You know, that was kind of what I was looking for. This one was a little bit more gray. Did you notice at one point? I think it's the second murder that takes place in a car. Some uh, some businessman uh, is uh, being uh, driven home by his driver, and it. Uh, did you notice uh, the stabbing in the head? That that looks <laughs> yes. kind of suspicious. It was yeah. He gets murdered. It's the old, you know, switcheroo of the chauffeur. He gets in his regular car, and this chauffeur turns around, and it's not his chauffeur. It's one of the ninjas, and the ninja kills him by putting a nail through his forehead. But when the when the nail first goes, like a really quick shot, but when the nail goes into his head, it's a still. It's like it looks like someone was holding up an eight by ten of the actor, yes. and someone pushed a nail into his forehead, and then you cut to him with a prosthetic nail sticking out of it. <laughs> that was great. I, that was, I like actually rewound that twice to watch. Did I just that see again. that. I yes, was right. That was, <laughs> yes, that was, that, I was like, no, I didn't see that. They, yeah, they it just, would have been great if like uh, they cut to him being alive and an actual picture beside him was stabbed and he looked very, <laughs> he was looking very confused. Like, why did you stab yeah, a picture exactly. of me? I'm going through an audition. I need this. <laughs> like I'm up, I'm up for a commercial. <laughs> My headshot, you know. <laughs> and then she leaves. So what was the, what's the point of that? Like I got him, boss. I got him. He can't audition now. Right, exactly. But okay, they wanted an effect on screen that went full out, and they couldn't be like a Lucio Fulci style puppet to to stab, I suppose. But it's it was a brave choice because it's it's kind of obvious, you know. It's it's on there for long enough where you go like, hey, 
Yeah. Rather than just go with the flow, but I, I, I enjoy it. It's good. It's good fun. They did it. Uh, one thing I got to say, I mean, it's not very serious in terms of an action piece, but the, the sword play, uh, during the end is good, but there's a flashback to when uh, Yasuaki Kurata kills uh, Chen Kwantai's master. And the sword play in that sequence, uh, that takes place in the forest is excellent. The flow and the moves in one frame is superb. Uh, so therefore, you get a mix of, which I always appreciate, off wires, yeah, and high-flying feats and gadgetry, but grounded exchanges as well. And that's fantastic to see. I, I love, in particular, sword play and spear play, if you will. That's just fantastic stuff. I agree. I, I do think that's the best. I love artificial, phony-looking uh, fighting effects. But, if, but I, yeah, I definitely prefer there to also be some good meat and potatoes, hand-to-hand fighting with skilled fighters. If it's if there's both that elements, I'm real happy. And indeed, you can recommend this to action fans, therefore, because there, there, there is yes. some rounded stuff there that is of uh, high class and uh, obviously performed by people who know their shit and not, uh, do not need doubling uh, and what have you. Um, I love how reckless the police are during... Uh, they try to catch a ninja at one point uh, and they burst into a bedroom and, and accidentally kind of shoots a girl, an innocent girl. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Because it, yeah, it's like the ninja, you know, is in their line of sight, but still that girl is in the way, but they just flat out shoot her in the chest, and uh, then you don't get so much tragedy after that because the movie needs to move on, you know. <laughs> it's like really the Taiwanese police are reckless. So some of the final notes from me. Well, we get a... A big action scene involving Chen Kwantai and a wrestler, uh, which is apparently a world wrestle champion called Wong Kin Mi, according to the trailer. So the wrestling they they have in the beginning of the movie, you can see him, and they, so they they recall that later in the movie. The mud wrestling they don't; it's just there for shits and giggles and kicks in the in the early stages of the movie. Uh, I actually dig this. Uh, fight scene a whole lot because you feel that Chen Quan Tai has a task on his hand like you read about. The, this fight scene with the wrestler though is uh, it's kind of incredible because the, the the wrestler is obviously not a movie fighter. It's clear that he was brought in as uh, uh, you know to kind of sell the movie and uh, to bring right. muscle, muscle man into things here but I love that Chen Quan Tai who's a big guy actually has to really struggle to 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 get you know, what to win over this guy, and it takes kind of him like strangling him, and to get him to finally commit to commit to death, I suppose, because he oh, yeah, yes. he sits on his head as one right, point. Right, doesn't he? To... He strangles him with his thighs. Well, he tries that, but that doesn't help. So he has to like uh, like hang him essentially. And by by the way, on the final fight with, with uh, Chen Kwantai and Yasuaki Kurata, uh, as fantastic it is to have this movie in widescreen, this actual VHS print goes noticeably worse during the end because it's also a fight scene set partly in the dark, so you can't see much of. That is why I can't remember it, because I could not see a fucking thing <laughs> through that. Now you remind me, it was just complete blackness on the version I saw. Well, it's the Japanese fault, I suppose, for <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you hear, like, like, ding, ding, 
thing and, and what's going on man what's going on yeah uh, but, uh, but the thing the things we do see is obviously uh, uh, quite compelling Yasuaki Kurata versus Chen Kwantai and it, it, it that's again I'm, I'm not I'm big on the movie but I'm not gonna pretend that it's uh, a layered masterpiece but I, I have so much fun and um, uh, if I were to pick it's Challenge of the Lady Ninja over A Life of Ninja but uh, uh, it, it's a great double bill. Uh, actually, um, uh, I normally watch both of these movies when I when I pick one of them. I just enjoy pairing these two up. So uh, so that would be a recommendation if you're curious about Lee Chon Am to I don't know uh, pair these two up. It is it's ninety easy minutes uh, times two uh, out of your life, I suppose. Sure. Uh, and you can get it. It's actually uh, availability is pretty pretty decent actually. Uh, it's been bootleg over the years, but it has been officially available as well. Uh, under its original title, um, but uh, there's a plethora of uh, either official or unofficial retitles, but we have a plethora of titles anyway. Some of them are Secret Life of the Ninja, Ninja Grandmasters of Death, Ninja Grand, which sounds like... Ninja Grand? It, it, it sounds Baby. like the title has been cropped off on that version, like Ninja uh-huh. Grand, oh, that's all... the cropped frame allowed for well that's that's just about the bureaucracy of being a ninja you have to write to the you know the supreme ninja council to get a grant so there's always one designated grant writer uh <laughs> in, and that's why that's the case in every ninja clan they have their designated grant writer it's not a very interesting film <laughs> no no it is a, yeah. a, not a hardcore film <laughs> no no not at all Invisible Endurer is another title. <laughs> I love that title. And finally, Deadly Life of a Ninja, because why you got to harden it up with Deadly, you know, Shaolin or Deadly or or put Ninja in on any title, but it wouldn't make sense. Yes. Here. Ninja Life of a Ninja. Uh-huh. <laughs> that wouldn't make sense. Uh, so it's a, it's a plethora title, but it's uh, actually um, it was available on Tai Seng DVD as A Life of Ninja. They presented it uh, full screen, but uh, with an audio commentary, I believe as well. Uh, but we what we watched again is the Japanese VHS. That is also the film mark version, dubbed quite well into English, as we talked about, and is the scope version. Uh, and aside from the ending, is uh, being so dark, it's uh, quite a good print. There's also a Crash Cinema DVD uh, that might be out of print but still out there. That is actually the original Mandarin English subtitled print in widescreen. And it's only missing a piece or two of violence. Uh, so uh, if you want to see it in Mandarin, it should be obtainable um, uh, for uh, use on eBay and what have you. Okay, next time. Let's announce the next show. Uh, I'm, um, you know, I'm going through my viewing habits, but also uh, picking what I think deserves a highlight. So, uh uh, we mentioned on a prior show uh, the movie Ghost Hill, directed by Ding Sin Sai and starring Polly Kwan from 1971, and uh, mentioned it as being this, uh, you haven't seen it all, but I, I sold it to you, hopefully, that is one of the most uh, like creative uh, fantasy swordplay movies of the early 70s, and it doesn't feel like an early 70s piece. It's such a skilled movie. I actually haven't seen it, but I did buy it on your recommendation, so I have a copy waiting to be watched, so I'm very excited we're going to be talking about it. Excellent, and Ding Sin Sai is this uh, director that you encounter a lot when you watch uh, Taiwanese movies, and even some Hong Kong movies, a uh, veteran director of many genres, and uh, stay with the swordplay theme, uh, but also with the theme of unusually honed filmmaking and dramatic skills. Uh, I thought we take a look at Chen Hung Min's 1971 effort, The Fly Dragon Mountain. 
and Chen was the director of uh, Little Hero, but also the director of War God, aka The Big Calamity, where Gen- General Guan fights Martians. But The Fly Dragon Mountain is uh, quite a serious piece of work and a uh, pretty good uh, swordplay movie. Uh, not a King Who masterpiece, but still, I liked it a lot. Uh, I unexpected uh, quality so um, and that director deserves more of a shout out than just on our little hero episode uh, okay so we're done uh, this has been Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire network podcastonfire.com for this show and the bonus episode email podcastonfire at googlemail.com facebook facebook.com forward slash puf network and join the discussion group by following that link on that page tweet us twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire my Taiwanese reviews and category free reviews and Ninja reviews on sogoodreviews.com and my video reviews at sleazykvideo.com and my tweets at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. We are on iTunes. Rate and subscribe and please leave a, a written comment if you have the time and uh, we would very much appreciate that. That will get the show some exposure. And uh, join, uh, not join, but stream on Stitcher. Uh, you can do that online, but the uh, best way to do that is on the application available to your iPhone, iPad or Android. Type in Taiwan War once you're in Stitcher. That should give you the latest uh, podcasts from on our behalf, but also the option to add us to your favorites. And finally, on my end, Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, Jesus Molina's blog on Taiwanese movies behind the Godfrey Ho movies, the source movies that they used, and we'll link to his well-researched Taiwan black movies posts. And finally, my friend, you're a busy man. I can be found most often at my blog, Die Danger, Die Die Kill. That's Die Danger, Die Die Kill dot blogspot dot com. I also write for Teleport City, Teleport City hyphen, oh, I'm sorry, Teleport hyphen city dot com. Please check out uh, the Infernal Brains podcast. You can find that at TarsTarkus dot net. Or actually, if you just go to my blog, Go to the handy uh, right side uh, sidebar there. You'll find links to my Twitter, my Facebook, my Tumblr. And then if you go further down, you'll find links to all my podcasting activities, including Taiwan Noir. And also to my radio show, Pop Offensive. And look out for my book. In September, I'm sure I'll have plenty of other uh, opportunities to remind you of it. But, uh, yeah, just check it out, excellent, man. Excellent, man. <laughs> uh, right, you got to appeal to all crowds, even the man crowd. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we are done for this episode. Thank you very much. And uh, being kind of being with me was my friend Todd Statman. So we'll say goodbye to the ninjas for now, I suppose. So bye-bye. Bye-bye. A ninja goodbye. Thanks for listening. How does a ninja goodbye work? They just I don't know. It's like you don't hear it. (laughs) They're gone. It only works in the dark. We we should have ended it like that. And now ninja goodbye. Silence.